0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Live is brought to you by Eagle Moss, Hero Collector, and their collection of exclusive Star Trek visual reference books and other great titles and gifts waiting for you at herocollector.com slash books. Use the promo code MISSION10 at checkout for 10% off all books and graphic novels. <music> unifying all those things that need to be unified even if it takes three times it's 7 p.m pacific on a monday night that means it's time for mission log live i'm john champion
1: and i'm holly amos going on a trip to a place that's vulcan by any other name it's time to talk about season three of star trek discovery episode seven unification part three You guys, it's completely in another, it's in another series. So exciting. (laughs) Oh, we could discuss any other numbers you guys want to discuss. We've got them all, but most important numbers are the ones you dial us at, 669-900-6833. Then you enter the meeting code and password. Of course, you can also use the one tap function from your smartphone or better yet, click on the Zoom meeting so we can see your face.
0: That would be nice, right? So tonight, we are a step closer to solving the mystery of the burn. If only those Vulcans and Romulans would cooperate. Let us know what you thought of this week's discovery. Do what Holly said. Click, dial, tap. You know the drill. Welcome to the show, Holly. Good to see you. you I just uh, alone, having this be the third part of a, uh, of a story sequence that started way back in Next Gen.
1: In 1991, it's so yes. exciting.
0: <laughs> That's so cool, right?
1: Uh, I- yeah. We're, and actually, you know what? We're about to hit another uh, like weird milestone. I guess it's not weird. Another milestone. We're about to hit 800 episodes. We're going to hit 800 episodes for the entire franchise on New Year's Eve.
2: Are
0: we really okay? So yeah. that'll be 800 episodes of TV, and then you have uh, including X-over the
1: animated hour. series, yeah.
0: Nice, okay. And, yeah. and then, but then you add on the movies for average number of hours, like 26 hours. Oh, god, I'd have or to or do whatever. the math. Yeah, it's a lot, it's, it's a, a lot. lot, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that's so cool. Yeah, I'm really glad. we'll get into what we talk about the show tonight, uh, maybe, if we get to our notes. I don't know. I'm I'm relying on our listeners to really fill in all the blanks here and tell us what you thought. Uh, But definitely, I have some notes about how they have tied in certain elements, because I feel like this is an episode that, to me, did it in a way that I wanted to see. There are many times that I call out New Trek for just cramming in references But then when I see something like this, it makes me really happy. Like, oh, wow, they actually did uh, something clever to honor a previous story or make it feel natural, like it belonged there instead of just beating you over the head with a reference. Right.
1: I mean, I don't disagree with you. I think that, you know, there's a time and a place for kind of like the blatant references. And I think the time (laughs) and the place for that is Lower Decks. Yes, (laughs) yes. Because they they do it with you know, a sense of humor. Um, I'm really glad that the way that they've sort of tied this into the first two episodes from TNG. um, Yeah. It didn't feel like disrespectful. It didn't feel forced, at least to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, and and I would love to know if our listeners agree with you, uh, or with me, or or have uh, other things to chime in about. Let's say hi to some of them right now. There's Carlos. Carlos already saying, yeah, absolute candor, John. Yes, that that is my absolute candor about this. And, uh, you know, about a, I've, I've definitely not been shy about calling out other modern Star Trek when it doesn't quite ring true to me. Uh, let's see. There's Evelyn saying, hi, John. Hi, Holly. Hi, everyone else. There's Scott Palm saying it. it well, he uses right off the bat. It is so there's about 15 O's. They're so wonderful to see Leonard Nimoy. And uh, we'll definitely talk about that. So many Uh, feels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's Alan. There's Rhonda. uh, There's Barry. Barry says, it must be said, burn, baby, burn, Disco Inferno. Barry, I don't know if I agree that it must be said, but you just did anyway. So we'll we'll accept it. It is acceptable. Uh, Let's see. There's Chris. There's Douglas. uh, uh, Douglas saying hi to Tracy because there's Tracy Coco. What up, Lieutenant J.? There's uh, Alan. There is Paul uh, saying hi, Holly and John. There is uh, Jane. Uh, Jane saying good evening from Bethlehem, and uh, uh, that would be Bethlehem, New Hampshire, not.
1: I was know. like, yeah. where? I, I know,
0: I, yeah, uh, but I think the farthest that, that always goes to Narda, who uh, who is down under. So welcome oh. to the show, Narda. And uh, let's see, there's Dominic. There's uh, there's Bob, Bob Amos. Hi, Dad. <laughs> that, that had to get that in uh and there's other paul and uh, so many of you so glad to see you and uh do pick up the phone or click on the zoom meeting link and um yeah can't wait to hear what you all said i, I think there was a lot of very immediate kind of internet reaction to this and uh, now that we've had a few days to process it very curious to see where we land um Hey, before we get into the show and before we get to the poll, just a couple of programming notes. So uh, next week, which will be this week, uh, no, sorry, next week on Mission Log Live, that's you and Norman coming back to do Disco uh, Season 3, Episode 8, The Sanctuary. Yeah. Uh, Not to be confused with Sanctuary from Logan's Run, where you die when you're 30. Um, And then this week on Mission Log, regular Mission Log, we are back after our Thanksgiving break. We will resume with DS9 with Ferengi love songs.
1: Yeah, Ferengi episodes are great.
0: Do you, really? Do you, I, I, okay. Listen Another, to this week's show.
1: No, they're ridiculous. I love them.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll talk. Uh, and then finally, little note, tonight is the last night to enter to win a Star Trek lapel pin. Here, let me see if I can show this off. There we go. Star Trek lapel pin from our friends at cufflinksinc.com. We have a link pinned at the top of our Twitter page and our Facebook page. So just go there, like it, and tag a friend, and then we will pick five random winners from both places and then the folks at cufflinksinc.com will be sending those lucky people their very own lapel pin like this one, or, or maybe like the other one, maybe like the uh, TNG Arrow one. Uh, you get that for free. And by the way, while you're there at cufflinksinc.com, I didn't get to wear these tonight because I didn't wear a shirt with French cuffs, but I really dig these, the the uh, Starfleet Delta cufflinks. You can't see too well there, but they have kind of like a, a, like a matte finish on them and then the back has a tiny little delta on it and they're just so cool and they come in this neat magnetic box so uh thank you to uh, the folks who are there for sending these and then for hooking all of you up with a free lapel pin if you are so lucky so holly before we get to the recap and our discussion if you would please catch us up on the poll questions
1: yeah. <laughs> Last week we asked you guys uh, what would you buy from the salvage yard <laughs> on, on how. Uh, there was 105 votes. Uh, 22% of you said that you would buy a self-sealing stumble. That's impressive mm-hmm. considering we still don't know what it does. Uh, Combat 17 seals. It
0: seals by itself. Holly. Oh, well, sure.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. right. Let's. You should work for NASA. Okay. <laughs> Combat seventeen percent. Uh, a twenty fourth century phaser only got twelve percent. I am offended
0: because that that's what worked? I voted for. Really? Okay. All right.
1: Yeah, a boomerang yeah. phaser. Yeah, they're so sleek. Okay.
0: Uh,
1: and Miranda class starship by far got the most votes with forty nine percent.
0: That's what I want. It's just such a cool design.
1: But they're I mean... so old
0: yeah it's classic it's not old it's i mean classic. the
1: phaser's old too but it's such a little thing that you would have to fix and you know you have to redo a whole starship that's all true right.
2: yeah all
1: right uh, i'm thinking too deeply uh so this week we asked who should become the permanent first offer officer on the discovery obviously tilly is acting uh mm-hmm. so far we have 44 votes tilly to be permanent she's got 41 percent of the votes right now nilson's got 21 uh O's got 27% and poor Reese only has 11.
0: Uh, how do you feel about that? Who would be your choice?
1: I really wanted Tilly just for the sake of the fact that I really enjoy her as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if she'd be the most appropriate. I actually think that, that Nilsen should be because Nilsson was third in command.
0: Yeah, True. True. So. See, I, I feel like, I mean, th- this is a very, like, writer-y kind of thing where they take Tilly and they go like, okay, there's a lot to work with here because we can see her grow into the role and really, you know, overcome uh, some of her obstacles and really a- excel and uh, and we'll just see so much growth from that character. But I don't think she's necessarily the most appropriate one outside of that logic. What? I like Owo. I, I think you I mean, I like O-O do a lot of O-O cool too. stuff. Yeah.
1: But I mean, she's so good at what she does now.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Like you'd have you'd be taking away from that. I feel like that's the only reason why. I, I just think Nilsson would be best. Like we see, we've seen her in command. We see her evacuating the captain's chair as like Saru walks onto. Like she's done it before. Yeah. Um, how do you think? <laughs> how do you think uh, Harry Kim would feel about Tilly being second in command? <laughs>
0: He's, he is right now screaming into the void. That is Are what, you uh, kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Poor Harry Kim. By the way, a lot of people uh, agreeing here. Uh, Alan saying, give Nilsen a real job. Uh, Paul, Paul Wright saying, Nilsen, she's next in line. And then... Um, Let's see. Who else? Uh, oh, oh, wait. And then David saying, do you guys think Tilly being acting first officer is a plot device? Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, look, we don't know really where we're going to land with this. Um, I, I just feel like it's an opportunity to, take the character and move the character along i don't think this is necessarily the right decision like within the internal logic of the show so i don't know if we're gonna actually wind up there i i do feel like it's a very kind of plot driven thing so yeah we'll see we'll see and, and by the way dave taylor says uh and i would totally agree is like hey if kirk can go from cadet to captain in an afternoon why not tilly so sure your, your logic is sound there, too. I mean, there's uh,
1: less of a federation to approve it, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And then uh, Rick says Nilsen is probably the least developed bridge officer so far. I would From uh, a
1: character standpoint, yeah. But I mean, yeah. it, it, from, from rank, like, she's she's had, she's taken the con before. So is Reese, hasn't he?
0: Yeah. I think he yeah. has. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Douglas says Nilsen looks too much like Arium to be trusted as number one. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. Clever, clever. All right, folks. Well, uh, lots of ideas to talk about there. Lots of other ideas uh, brought up in the episode. So now is the time to pick up the phone or uh, tap on the, uh, the uh, one the tap from your smartphone. The thing, the link, the Zoom, the click. You know what to do. Do all of that while I ramble on about the recap and uh, we'll see you in a minute, okay? Here we go. Unification three. It's still a tough time for Michael Burnham demoted, definitely not fitting in with the crew or the expectations of Starfleet in the 32nd century. She's having to reconsider who she is here, but at least she's got the comfort of a good book. And by that, we mean book, book, the guy. We're not sure what she's reading, but these two are definitely getting to know each other cover to cover. Oh my God. may seem like a novel idea, but he's definitely her type. All right, I'll stop with the book jokes until we get to a new chapter. With Burnham acting as lowly science officer, Tilly has been offered the role of first officer. She's going to need some time to see if that's really the best fit for her. The work carries on, though. She and Burnham narrow down at least one more missing piece of the mystery of the burn. There was an experiment called SB-19, which they learned was a foray into alternate means of starship propulsion developed at the behest of the Federation. It didn't work out. And those scientists who were working on SB-19 secreted away all their data, never to be shared with anyone. Those scientists were on a planet, Nivar. Also, Nivar used to be called Vulcan. Also, they dropped out of the Federation. So the Discovery crew will have to go there, and while Burnham is still in the doghouse, she is the best chance they have of opening up diplomatic relations. She is Spock's sister, after all, and Spock, since we last saw him, became something of a legend in his time by reuniting the Vulcans and Romulans. The reception at Nivar is perfectly Vulcan, which is to say cold, aloof, and not forthcoming with any of the information the Discovery crew need. Burnham has a trump card, though. She wants to invoke the rite of Tikal Inket, which roughly translates to the ancient Vulcan ritual of talking this thing to death. The Vulcan president, Tarina, agrees and assembles a panel along with an advocate for Burnham, who follows the ancient Romulan ritual of absolute candor and just happens to be Burnham's mom. The inquiry begins, and the panel can't come to any sort of consensus on the first round, You've got a Vulcan who's curious, a hardline, uh, sorry, a Romulan who's curious, a hardline Vulcan who's a real stickler and wants the whole thing dismissed, and then a Romulo Vulcan who abstains. In any case, Burnham is getting no data from SB-19 right now. Round two. After a talking to by her mother, Burnham goes back into face her interrogators and, whoa, what is this? Her mother turns against her, pushing all those buttons about what it is she's really after, where she belongs, what her true motivations are, with advocates like this who needs enemies. But it works. Burnham is stripped down to reveal that she has constantly worked to serve the greater good. It's who she is. It's what Starfleet is. So yes, the SB19 data will be used with good intent. She's got at least one of them convinced, the Romulan but all that does is create more squabbling among the group, and as Burnham sees the unity between these three break down, potentially signaling a bigger political problem, she withdraws her request. This isn't what Spock would have wanted, but Burnham will take the high road, keep searching, share her data with them, mic drop, or gong drop, or whatever. The quorum may have ended in disaster, but Tarina was so impressed with Burnham that she herself handed over the SB-19 data. All's well. The science will begin. Burnham will keep her job, even if it means a strain on her relationship. She's found where she belongs. Tilly will accept a new temporary job as first officer. And it looks like Saru has opened up diplomatic channels with Nivar. Baby steps, anyway. The end.
1: Yay.
0: Golf clap. (laughs) <laughs> thank you. Those thank book you.
1: puns were awful. Oh,
0: thank you. I, I, I <laughs> do that for the greater good. That's what I do. <laughs> I just bring you some terrible puns. Any uh, any, just sort of immediate thoughts on the episode or uh, standout moments you want to share before we get to our first caller?
1: I'm The Navarre thing is wild to me. Like, what well,
0: that, that it that it exists as a place with Romulans and Vulcans. Well, and no, not
1: that. There. No, where the name came from is is like from fanzines in the sixties.
0: Yeah, that's pretty rad. It
1: yes, it's rad that there. I mean, it, it's already been used, right? So there was an enterprise in Enterprise. There was a ship named the Navarre.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but a but a linguist who was a fan. You know this? A linguist yeah. for those of you who might not know a linguist mm-hmm. who was a fan had fanzines in the sixties. Uh Dorothy Jones?
0: Yeah, well and, and um uh Jacqueline Lichtenberg contributed. Right, right. To, yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh oh I have her name right here in my notes. I'm yeah. <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> T Negative and um Spucanelia. I have Spoccanellia stuff is like they're in archives. Like I've seen them in official archives.
3: Yeah. So I've so cool. I've
1: looked through them. They're they're pretty wild. Um I I, I am beside myself that they are using stuff that fans came up with in the '60s. It's so yeah. nice of them. So
0: see, and, and that's the kind of like universe building that I really appreciate because it, it's. I feel like it's the easy way out to just go you know, like. Here's Spock. And I don't mean specifically in this episode because I will get to that. I love the way that they use Nimoy in this. Mm -hmm. But when you spend most of the second season and you kept teasing it in the first season, like Burnham's, uh, she was raised alongside Spock, Sarah is her adoptive father. It's like, that's the easiest thing to do to sort of telegraph to a Star Trek fan. Look how Star Trek this is. Right. What I love is when you do something that's a little more of a deep dive, a little more clever, even like going back to enterprise, just the idea of having the Vulcan city look like the one from the animated series. Right. You didn't have to beat anybody over the head with it. You just say like, look, we we've watched this too. We like this idea we're just going to leave this here for all of you, <laughs> you know? Uh, so when you do something like this and you pull it right out of a fanzine, that's. Yeah.
1: Sad. And I mean, I also think that par- I, I want to think that part of the reason why they chose it was because it's meaning, which it basically means two forms. And cause the woman mm. that, that, that coined this phrase, like she also, again, was a linguist. And so she kind of fleshed out a Vulcan language. Um, And so it means two form in which I wrote it down. Uh, A subject was examined from two different viewpoints, um, or in terms of it having two different aspects or natures. And the meaning of it kind of got me thinking about specifically our country's current state of affairs where we have like two very different sides of things
0: yeah
1: um in terms of people's opinions and i feel like it was pretty blatant commentary but i'm maybe i'm just
0: (laughs) no no i i think that's a really good point i mean look uh uh good science fiction and good Star Trek definitely reflects the time that it's in. And uh, I, I think that's a very obvious thing, very probably very well thought out saying here we have two opposing cultures who have been essentially enemies for hundreds of years. How do we give them a new beginning and sort of honor the idea that we're, we're creating this uneasy alliance.
1: Right. That's and very. I- they took it. They took it a a little bit further with the Kuat Malat, which is from the uh, card. Yeah, which it's so I exciting that. that they're tying that into. I love that continuity. Yeah. Um, but Tarina mentions that part of what the Kuat Malat does at that point in time, which again, you know, we're in the future, is mm-hmm. that they allow a healthy discourse on the planet. And I was yes. like, I'm, I'm jealous. We don't really have that.
0: <laughs> no, I do love that. And, and again, that's another piece of continuity that I love how they did it. Because it, with any lesser of a writer, unfortunately, Picard was just on not that many months ago. Right. But with any lesser writer, it would have been like, yes, I studied the Quatre because uh, there was once a great teacher named Eleanor, and he worked with a great person named Picard, and it like that would have been. No, the, it the was the completely like
1: they. I mean, the most that they did was you know she was mentioned that she was in the Kuat Malat, and then what she was mm-hmm. wearing, and she has the sword.
0: The sword, yes, yeah, which, which is so
1: a, cool. a, a ten, oh, God, he's only pronounced it once in the show. It's a Tan You're
0: good. Uh <laughs>
1: new hey, words.
0: I know. <laughs> Let's go to our first caller. So uh, we're going to welcome uh, to the show, Chris. Chris, how are you doing tonight?
1: Where are, Where is he? Where today? are you, Chris? Hey guys. See,
0: hey, there he is. I see doing you. Good. Oh no.
1: He's he's robotic today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're trapped in some sort of a temporal distortion. I think. Uh,
2: this. There we go. This oh. is. Yeah, yeah, I is down here in L.A., and so I'm using my data, which is on my phone, hence the shaky cam and the uh, the the effect. But no, this is a painting that's in a restaurant I believe called Lucky Penny in the Palms in Las Vegas. Um, oh, I wow. went there one of the times I was at STLV. Uh, yeah, it's like a diner type thing, and so it's like oh, that one. Oh, very moment. cool. Like a diner doing her thing. Uh, very yeah, cool. so that's why I am tonight. Uh, very nice. Nice. Uh, let's see. Regards this week episode. I liked it. I liked it in the way that it sort of softened me on last week. Because last week I was, as you may recall, somewhat ill at ease with Michael's sort of whole decision. And now I see this is really sort of the resolution of that. I think last week and this week are really kind of an unofficial two-parter. And the reason mm-hmm. that you have to have Michael do something as brash and crazy as like blatantly ignore. Or the rules last week, is so that you get to have a big payoff this week. You can't have this sort of trial scene if her angst is like over a little tiny, eh, I don't wanna, you have to have her go all the way to the line and over in order to have this swing pendulum back the other way, just as big. So I really like that, the character work that we did with Michael this week and how it sort of eased and softened her from last week.
0: What, what do you make of the idea? Because I, I see this complaint online, and I, I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but I really like how you just sort of put it into context. The idea that, you know, Michael Burnham was introduced as a character who broke rank, uh, uh, disagreed with a captain, basically caused them to get into a war, caused the death of her captain, And, you know, do we allow a character, like, multiple times to be insubordinate? Do we allow her to keep coming back and essentially doing the same thing, which is going rogue at every opportunity? Does this play as realistic to you? Do we forgive it because we do get a payoff here? Um, Is it easier or more difficult to swallow because we already set up the character that way?
2: I think... Before this season, I would have said it's starting to kind of get old, that that's her one shtick, is that she's told no and she does it anyway. And (laughs) I like that this season, we've sort of given her an out with book in her year of doing space, Indiana Jones, ecosystem, whatever. And that like she has a reason to want to not necessarily follow the rules because she's experienced something different. Whereas in prior season, it seems she was doing it just because she felt like it out of not spite, but like, well, you told me no. So I'm going to do it now. It's gonna, I'm going to do it harder. Um, so I like that we have a sort of character, you know, narrative reason as to why she wants to go this other way. And that we get to sort of see her begin to figure out how can I meld these two things that I think are both equally important to her. I don't think she's ever going to totally abandon Starfleet, but she obviously cares very much about Book and his sort of... Transform Crusade. So I like that we're sort of giving her that, that mother arm or whatever you want to call it. Transform
1: Uh, Crusade is a great way to put it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a new band name. So good job (laughs) on that. So um, yeah. And you know, Lord knows we've never in Star Trek seen another uh, character of authority who has uh, gone rogue and been insubordinate and uh, been told no and done it anyway. We've never seen that before. That never happens on Star Trek since 1966. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and then Dave says, uh, John, did you watch? I don't know if he's talking to me or another John here, but John, did you watch TNG? The number of court martial events is multitude. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I am being facetious there. It's interesting to me that. It, People will call that out on this show, and I think that this show uh, suffers from having short seasons and short seasons that are telling one story, you know? So when, when the big catalyst for a lot of those events that happen within those stories happens to be a main character being insubordinate, then it feels like it's repetitive. It feels like they're just doing the same thing because they go, oh, that's what Michael Burnham does. Something that I feel like in this episode in particular was a big turning point and why I appreciated this one more on a rewatch than I did the first time around was that that scene, the second scene in the uh, in the quorum, it was a moment to not just have Star Trek preach at us about these are the ideals. These are the principles that Starfleet thinks are important. It wasn't just about that. It was about like, how and why do you as an individual commit to those ideas? And then how do you act that out? So it's one thing to just be able to say like, yeah, Starfleet has ideals and uh, we we respect things like uh, unity and uh, cultural diversity, et cetera. But, the, but they stripped all of that away and they just made it personal about Michael. And I think that Michael represents a lot of people in Starfleet to go like, oh yeah, I signed up for this, but I had a reason to sign up for this. And I, I will behave at my best to make sure that, act, that I act like those ideals. So uh, that that's definitely what I took away from from this episode. Josh here saying, uh, "Wait, has there been an episode where Burnham doesn't cry? D- does it matter?"
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, there's probably not been very many episodes in which Tilly doesn't cry either. But yeah. I, I I really enjoy the characters showing emotion and being vulnerable, and this is something that we've talked about through this third season because it's there's even something in this episode that is you know vulnerability. It's when you know Gabrielle revealed that there was an, another audience that Burnham was playing to and that ended up being the president, Tarina. Yes. And yes. Tarina de- only decided after that she became truthful and vulnerable that she was that she was trustworthy and gave her the data that she was looking for on SB19. And I think that this this concept of like a stiff upper lip, I'm not down. Mm, I'm not mm. down with it. I, I don't think that characters being emotional, showing emotion, being vulnerable. I don't think that's bad. I think that's yeah. great.
0: There's something that, yeah. Uh, speaking of characters being emotional. Um, I, I do think that, you know, what we're missing here is several hundred years of Vulcan Romulan evolution uh, their, their cultural, their social evolution. So there's a lot of mingling there. And, you know, I, I love that the president just flipped that around on Saru about the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few. She was like, yeah, we we ran out of time for aphorisms. <laughs> you know, we just, that, that didn't work anymore, given the reality of the situation. Uh, so I feel like her Position and we get, just got a taste of it here, but that 's informed by so much history that 's gone on there, so her reactions are probably going to be different from a guy like Spock or Sarek or someone else and as far as Burnham, I think the other thing that maybe we're we're forgetting here is that you know she spent a year thinking that she was never going to see her crew again there's so much that we don't again. know. Yeah,
1: there's so much that we don't know about her character that by the way that that Sonequa does know she's had conversations with the writers about the backstory and like the year that is unseen to us so she knows things uh, that we don't and and it's we know basically the same amount of information as the rest of the crew. Right. So there are, I'm sure that there are decisions that she's making reasons that she's acting the way that she is that have a lot to do with the year that she was by herself in the future. Yeah. And basically had one confidant book and maybe the cat.
0: Right. So you can definitely understand their relationship, though, because of that. You know, Uh, Douglas makes an interesting comment here that I'll throw out to uh, both of you. He says, while they understand how it can be important to show vulnerability, but when it's used too often, it can end up feeling cheapened, at least to me. I'm for it, but it's starting to feel a bit less earned. I don't know, I don't mean to complain, like it needs to be earned, blah, I don't know. (laughs) So Douglas, I I, I hear you and and, you know, I I feel like this is probably a conversation that a lot of Star Trek fans are having with themselves and with their uh, fellow Star Trek fan friends. Um, You you know, it, it feels genuine to you if you feel like it's earned. To me, I kind of have to keep coming back to this idea that there is a whole year of history that we simply don't know. And then just being thrown right back into this and saying like, oh yeah, you're an officer now. Oh yeah, here's how you behave now. H- how that's got to throw her off her game. Then you throw her mother back into the mix. Um, I,
1: I think that, her I, mother is the only part of the show of this episode that I was like, well, that's a little bit convenient.
0: Oh, oh totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but I was, I, mean- glad, I was glad to see her though. I'm glad that, that we gave her a story. You know, yeah, I mean, the, the
1: having her be a member of the Coat Malat and, like, she was rescued by them, and that whole backstory, like, that's super interesting. And absolutely, like, when she beamed aboard and had her veil, like, I did not expect it to be Gabrielle. So I was like, oh. But then I was like, well, who else yeah. would it have been? Right. Like, in the future, everybody that she knows is either book or is on the ship. So, like, who right. else could it have been?
0: Right, exactly.
1: Um, But, yeah, There's... I mean, I, I get people, you know, being tired of all the crying but yeah, I, I, I I've just, never felt like to use to use your their words I never felt like it was unearned because every yeah. time someone gets emotional I'm like <gasps> me yeah, too
0: now, we I mean, see, that's the thing now, speaking of the viewers, like Rick, echoing, echoing what you're saying, before this season, I think Star Trek made me cry maybe a half dozen times. I don't think I've made it through an episode this year, <laughs> you know. It, yeah, I mean, I didn't even make of... it through the
1: first like 10 minutes because they brought in Leonard and I was just like a blubbering yeah. mess.
0: Well, all right, so let's talk about that because that, that is such an important thing for this episode for you, uh, Chris, uh, talk to us here. Let's 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 pick this apart with uh, using Leonard Nimoy Spock from Unification in this. What, what did you think of it?
2: Yeah, I like I like this on a couple levels. I like just the general idea of taking a plot thread from 1980, whatever, and being like, yes, this still matters 30 or 40 years later. I think that's really mm-hmm. cool. I also think this is like the right amount of sort of like world building connectivity that the show needs and can now use being set in the future. Like we know that she is Spock's sister. And, but just to have like a little moment, just to have, you know, a little clip or, you know, just sort of passing, like, again, it doesn't beat you over the head with it. It's like, especially for people like us, the viewers, like we know what that scene is from and we have a great emotional attachment to Leonard beyond just that moment. And so I think it's a nice little, like we understand where we're coming from and we're trying to honor that as we go forward for yeah. the show. So I thought it was really sweet. Um, I, I expected there to be a photo. I did not expect the clip. So I was presently surprised by audio, uh, but no, I really liked it. That was a sweet moment with her.
1: Yeah. And it wasn't what I appreciated about it was it wasn't a scene. I mean, obviously the first two unification episodes were like a big deal. Cause it was the 25th anniversary of the franchise. Is that right? Did I do that math right? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, it's some anniversary, and it was right after Gene died, actually. I mean, they shot it before he died, but it aired after. Um, But what I appreciated with the clip that they used is that it was relevant, but it wasn't a clip of Spock or Leonard that anybody has, like, ever fixated on in terms of characterization. Like, Mm. it's not one of his, like, most famous phrases or anything like that. Like, it's completely relevant, but it's not something that people, like – remember him by. But they're also like to your to your guys' uh, comments about not being beat over the head with it, um, there's a lot of stuff that we're that they're interjecting, but they're not outright stating. Like the fact that Romulans live on the planet Vulcan, I mean obviously that's mm-hmm. reunification, but Romulus is also gone.
0: Yeah. Like right. it's been gone. Right. And
1: yeah. they don't mention that explicitly, mm-hmm. but we know that from Star Trek 2009 and then Picard because they played off it too. So, yeah, uh, but they don't explicitly cool. say it, which I kind of appreciated that they weren't just, yeah, Well, you know, Romulus is gone. Cause it was destroyed. Yeah. By her. <laughs> I liked that too. But there, th- there was one comment in it where they said, uh, you invoke ambassador Spock who left the Federation behind. And they act like, they act like he willingly left. And I was like, dude got sucked into a black hole. <laughs> like right. calm down. Yeah. He was like, yeah. trying to save Romulus.
2: Right anyways what was anyways. that chris oh no but yeah it's funny that like wasn't it like wasn't he on his way somewhere it's not like we counted him missing we were like oh no he clearly just went AWOL we didn't just assume that you know something bad befell him he's like no he he left he clearly left despite the fact that he was on his way to a conference or whatever yeah uh, yeah
0: and oh and uh also to everybody's point here uh carlos points out uh, and it's not the kelvin universe there's no vulcan planet there uh, so yeah, there is no Vulcan planet in the Kelvin timeline, but there is here. So yeah, we we're definitely firmly establishing that that moment. We're in the prime the, timeline, guys. Yeah, yes. the kickoff po- kickoff moment of splitting the uh, the timeline.
1: <gasps> what do we think happened to Remus? Like, they got destroyed too, right? Did they? Yeah, presumably they're in the same star system. Why wouldn't they have been sure. in that supernova? Yeah, Anyways, yeah. that's that was a question that raised in my mind today. I was like, yeah. presumably they're gone too.
0: Could be a lot of. Uh... It's just like a moon.
2: Yeah. Uh, but... Well, they're
1: like a they're like a twin planet, although Remus is a little bit bigger. But yeah, they're in the same star system. Um, I mm-hmm. think that there's probably not as many Remans on board ships um, that were not like bound to the planet. So I feel like they might be completely extinct. Whereas yeah, like Romulans, be. there was enough of them off pl- off world when when. The supernova. I mean, you know, Nero's one of them. Even though he got sucked into the past, right. um, there was enough of them to, you know, they didn't have a planet to go back to, and they were rejoined with the Vulcan. So we're going to go back to Vulcan, and we're going to rename it, and it's going to be called Navar. That's cool.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Navarre is a cool name for it. Good job, you writers.
0: Yes. Yes. And by the way, one thing that I will say here about the Spock uh, hologram is that I'm usually not a fan. It definitely takes me out of things when, um, uh, when a TV show will reference something that happened in the past of that tv show and they just roll the clip you know just roll the footage uh like you can kind of get away with it in the menagerie because the events of the cage you're saying like okay well th- this is a transmission from the Tolosians. they are sort of creating this for you to see on the enterprise it's not just like somebody was standing behind pike all the time with a camera capturing everything that was going on um but this this was a great use of the technology because you cut out the rest of the scene you just focused on spock you had his face there in this sort of you know hazy hologram projection and it was almost like you could sort of buy it in universe sure this was something that either some camera there was recording or something that was being picked up on uh, uh picard's combadge or tricorder or whatever and the computer in the 32nd century is sort of piecing this together for you. So I really liked the way just the technology was presented in this context to show a vintage clip of Star Trek, essentially, and not not take me out of it, not, not make me in my head go like, Wait, where is the camera? Wait, why? Why was somebody filming this? Wait, why are there edits involved? You know? does it
1: take you out of it when you're watching during the original series movies when it basically just replays when,
0: like, oh, when the Enterprise is
1: being destroyed? You're just like, who is filming this?
0: Yeah, because I'm just saying, like, who who edited this? Who's filming it? Why is it? Why is there another ship out there? Why didn't they beam those people off? Like, yeah, I, it completely takes me out of it. So, yeah, but I anyway. mean, somebody
1: somebody just said in the comments that Kirsten Beyer is a master storyteller, and I just wanted to uh, say yes, she is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there. Hey, uh, Chris, if you got one more comment, we'll take that, and then we got to do a little business, and we're going to say hi to our other callers who are patiently standing by. Anything else for
2: us tonight? Really happy for Tilly. Good for her. I don't know how long this will, but potentially encounter someone who is like a higher round is going to come back. But I think Kelly's gonna like basically do this as her internship. And then at the end she'll get promoted to either Lieutenant Junior grade or full Lieutenant as kind of a reward and we'll put somebody new in there. But I think this is still a good arc for her. And I really like the scenes that she and Doug Jones have together. They work really well together. Yeah.
0: I I like that. All right. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Really appreciate it. And uh, really appreciate uh, John and Casey who are standing by. So uh, we will get to you guys in just a moment. But before that, I want to say a, a quick word about our sponsor this week. Of course, you know what that means. That means the Eagle Moss Bookshop. So, Mission Log listeners, like all of you within the range of my voice, you already know about the collections of model starships from every corner of the Starship universe made by Eagle Moss Hero Collector. Uh, But you may not be as familiar with the wide and ever-expanding variety of officially authorized special edition books published by Eagle Moss and available online in the Eagle Moss shop. Now, Holly, while you're talking, I'm going to get up the book here. And uh, I got a special one for you this week. uh, (laughs) Uh,
1: Fans who pay a visit to the exclusive Star Trek bookshop at HeroCollector.com slash books will discover a range of definitive visual guides that go as deep into Star Trek history and canon as any books ever published, each extensively researched and developed by Eagle Moss Hero Collector under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. Books from the Star Trek Shipyard series present a timeline of almost every ship that has ever appeared in the Star Trek TV shows and movies, from the original series, Forward to Discovery, and Backwards to Enterprise. Some of these volumes are dedicated exclusively to Starfleet starships, while others focus on ships from other members of the Federation, including the Vulcans. Uh, Vulcans aren't in the Federation anymore. Uh, The Andorians, (laughs) the Tellarites, and the Bajorans. Uh, uh, Books in in the Designing Starship series boldly go where few have gone before, deep behind the scenes into the conception, development, and detail of ships from every era. There are even volumes from the comprehensive official Star Trek graphic novel collection.
0: All right, so uh, I've got my big old Star Trek Voyager, US's Voyager, NCC 74656 book here from Eagle Moss. And I just, I love how much detail, every room, every panel, uh, design elements. And uh, this week, you know, I, I picked out before I had Chakotay's quarters just for you. Uh, we we took a trip to uh, Melix's uh, kitchen. And this week, yes, there is a special chapter on the, the morgue. morgue. Yeah, so the morgue on the Voyager. Uh, because as they point out that as good as the EMH is sometimes some things are just beyond his ability so you're gonna need you're gonna need a morgue and uh, I believe it says that they can store six bodies uh, indefinitely it says they are beamed there uh, after they are deceased I-, I just say keep them in the pattern buffer because Why not? And uh, just in case you're working in there, there is a level five dampening field. So don't worry, you won't be contaminated with anything. But I'll have all the details here if you find yourself working on the morgue of the USS Voyager. So it's one of many details to find in the big old book about the Voyager. So there is something for every Star Trek fan, as I have just pointed out. Plus, especially for friends of Mission Log Live, again, use our code MISSION10 at checkout. Get 10% off all books, not not just Trek books, but all books and graphic novels there. To browse the shop, go to herocollector.com slash books. Use that code MISSION10 at checkout for your 10% discount. Hey, enough of our yammering on calling us directly from the Trek house now. It's Casey. How are you? Hey, hey can you guys hear show. me? We can. Yes. Perfectly well. How are you? Woo,
3: I'm doing good, man. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to see you guys again. It's been a pretty stressful year and it's been a... a
0: you, don't uh, yeah, you don't
3: say.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> but, uh, you know, Holly talking about Fullerton. I'm, I'm from La Habra and so, uh, you know, all these places she's talking about, Bray Mall and all this stuff, it's just harkening back to... Uh, <laughs> my childhood and and this show, especially, man, uh, you know, 29 years in the making. And uh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled because like this season, so much more than any other season of, of discovery is about pursuing that dream of making enemies into friends and living up to Starfleet ideals. And especially, oh my God, this year on this weird, unified <laughs> year we we've all been sharing on the planet earth where we're all going through this this global thing together um you know it's astonishing so i i was thrilled i was thrilled to know in this fictional universe that i'm deeply involved in uh that it, it might take a a thousand years or or less <laughs> considerably us uh before it happens but uh the Vulcans and the Romulans—those crazy kids—getting back together. So it makes me really happy. It makes me really happy.
0: All, um, all they needed was a good teacher and uh, and good motivation. That's you
3: know? it. That's it. Yeah. And uh, and you know, uh, it's 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 also weird. that It's a strange symmetry uh, between the J.J. Abrams universe and this universe, where they they just diverge. You know, knowing that it, it, Spock has you know they ha- that universe has Spock but they don't have a Vulcan planet. But mm-hmm. our universe does have a Vulcan and now it's Navar, old school. Uh and and that's I don't know. I'm just love I'm the references going... to
1: the, I love the references to the Kelvin films too. I know that a lot of fans had cold issue with with the Kelvin films when they were being released but
3: there are there are there are issues uh the laurentian system that's a that's a big issue with me from the star trek uh the 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 first the, of the, the
1: kelvin universe yeah
3: mm. yeah all the ships are gone all the ships are gone in the entire uh, starfleet except for one the enterprise they're all in the laurentian system and that's all we're gonna say about it <laughs> this series this series is the first time we actually have a skew, scu- an excuse that uh, one starship is the only starship in, in the quadrant that can that can make it. Because all the other ones are slow as hell.
0: Right. Yeah. And I,
3: right. I think that's fantastic. Other than, uh, oh, uh, they're all somewhere else. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're not going <laughs> to no, I mean, talk about that. There wasn't
1: yeah. just uh, – I, I, I have to mention this before we run out of time, though, is the USS Yelchin comment. Mm, yeah. Mention. <sighs> I Anton, mean, hmm.
0: yeah. yeah,
3: the feels, the yes, yeah. so much, and then the nog thing too. You know,
1: yeah, I mean yeah. that got me too. Yeah. I was actually friends with both of those actors, so yeah. I was I'm yeah. happy that they've been kind of commemorated. Oh man,
3: show. oh man! But there's so many mysteries. I don't know how many se- episodes this season's going to have, but they got a lot of stuff. To, to, to wrap up unless they're trying to like push it on to the next season we're
1: at 13 like,
0: this season yeah 13 this season and we're we're just on 7 now so we got 6 more and I honestly I, I find myself kind of feeling this in this season the way that I had before which is I'm less interested in the big mystery. And I know that's kind of like how you sell a show now is just like, well, well, this season, it's all about the burn and what happened to create the burn. And I know that's the thread that's supposed to carry us through, but I just feel like I'm less interested in that than I am in all the character stuff and, and just what's happening kind of peripherally. To all I of do that.
1: feel like they're doing a good job of having that, what you were calling a thread that is like mm-hmm. the you know, the ongoing mystery that they're trying to solve in the serialization. But they've also been really good about telling like condensed bottle episode type things. Like, yes. you know, the the seed ship was like a whole contained yeah, little episode. Yeah. Like this right. was a contained episode. Going to Han Hao was a contained episode. Like even though they do have this this silver lining of like what we're trying to figure out, um i do think that they're doing a really good job of having almost standalone stories
2: yeah
3: well guys... I'm
0: definitely oh go ahead casey
3: oh i was gonna say do you guys think it's weird that uh everyone's hung up on this thing that happened like 120 years ago like <laughs> well, i feel like I are, get our Now, heroes. are you
1: saying that everybody or are you saying michael
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: our heroes you know and and michael had a lot i i do love the mystery of like everything she went through uh you know, including how she grew that hair so quickly in, in one year. That's that's astonishing. Um, but uh, it, I don't know. It's just, yeah, Michael. It's just I get great it. hair. You know it's I mean? great. Yeah. It's a, well, yeah. I mean, they did it on Voyager. Uh, uh, you know, seven of nine had a full head of locks like one episode later. It's, it's incredible. But um, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's just it, it's kind of weird to me. Like, I feel like people are like, yeah, that was really tragic. But uh, we moved on. That was like 120 years ago, man. Um, well, I
1: mean, I think that there, there's a reason, and maybe it's with, it's in the year that we did, we didn't see that there's a reason why Michael is obsessed with this. She is convinced that without understanding what the cause of the burn was, that the Federation can never recover to the level that they were at in terms and, of you know, having, you know, how, how many worlds were they down to like 38 or something down from like 300 something like uh, there's a, there has to be a reason why. It can't just be like, she's obsessed for the sake of being obsessed. There has to be a reason that we might not know about.
3: Oh, and the whole the whole thing with the red angel suit, you know, that just kind of got sucked up into the wormhole. So, I, I, that's what I'm wondering if there's some kind of timey-wimey thing that's going on that calls that ruckus. Because they made a point of, you know, saying that things go places unexpectedly. And they made a point of bringing up the Red Angel uh, suit when um, they were uh, debriefing uh, yeah. Burnham and everything. So yeah. I don't know that in the whole, like mystery tune, you know, right. Uh, right. And the wackiness with Grey and and the weird fugues that, that uh, Giorgio is happening. There's a lot going on. But don't you feel
1: like – I mean, don't you feel like there was a lot of crazy stuff happening in the last season and they're kind of all – like all of these things, you feel like you're being pulled in several different directions in terms of like characterization and like weird things that are going on. But don't you feel like they brought it together pretty well at the end? I they feel like did. they tied it together. So like I have no – like qualms with what's going on even though i'm like I, I there's so many things going on true but i also have faith that the writers know what like they're not just aimlessly wandering around giving us oh no as <laughs> soon
3: as as soon as i knew kirsten uh bear was on there i, I was i was sold because i'm a i'm a nut for all the novels and, yeah. and the whole continuity i got this yeah it's nuts but um no, I have faith in them, especially since the pacing of this season is on point. It's last season was it was too much. It was like yeah. there's a lot of pew 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 going on.
1: There's not. <laughs> there there's been entire episodes this season that don't have any like battles. Although when they did have when they have had battles, I mean bookship pulling apart and coming back together and i love
3: that thing yeah, i don't weird. know why it does yeah i don't know why it does what it does but i love it and Grudge, um, i'm so happy Grudge got more more cameos in this what episode. is going on with grudge she's a queen that's all you need to there know. is she's something going on that
1: look that book gives her at the end of this episode i was like what is happening
3: she's the queen uh-huh. of kate the 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 planet kate the vacations they worship her
0: I would okay. hope so. I would hope so. I mean, look, I just wonder, like, at the end of this season, what is it that I will take away from it? What, what is it that I'll remember and hang on to? And will it be a reveal about the cat? Will it be a reveal about the burn? Will it be, you know, something like that? And I go, like, no, what I'm really into right now is getting to know Saru's command style. Like, to me, that in this episode, that was so cool to just really get a sense for him with this, like, you know, gentle but wise approach that he has and because we've seen different types of uh captains we've seen the the cowboy diplomacy of kirk we've seen this sort of like elder statesman and picard um and and pike they really played with and they they really created a character that's got some conflict and some burnout and trying to find his own motivation but saru just has a sort of like elegance in the role that we haven't really seen in a cat. Those are the things that, to me, I'm going to walk away from this season and go, oh, wow, that was the season where this character became this. Not necessarily this is the season where I learned what the cat is. Although, I really want to know what the cat is. I will tell you that right now.
3: And just getting to see Doug Jones act, like, actually act. Like, how you know, instead of just doing
1: physical stuff he's i thought about that too i was like and is delightful. this the most that he's like had like a speaking role like ever yeah
3: yeah yeah he's
0: Wonderful, goodness. wonderful yeah yeah well hey uh casey thank you so much for your thank comments you we got one more caller to talk to and i i hope we see you again soon on the show okay thank you all right you, take you care guys. have a great night all right and then rounding out the conversation tonight welcome back to the show john arminio how you doing sir
4: I'm great. How are you? Doing all right. Such
1: Thanks good audio coming. every time.
4: Oh, thank know, you so right? much. I appreciate yeah. it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so welcome and what is on your mind tonight?
4: Um I'm I am hoping we get more with the Vulcans and the Romulans and how their society is functioning right now. Um you know I th- you know Star Trek has this reputation of representing the the planets as, you know, monocultures. But I think what's made the Vulcans so interesting throughout their appearances in Star Trek is that from a mock time, we've seen a real conflict between like, um, power hungry ladder climbers and traditionalists and hardliners and more pro- progressive voices and, um, very bad dads and good moms. <laughs> um, and and I, we see that reflected in the, the, the tribunal in this episode and the conflict between the Vulcans and, and the Romulan representatives. And so I'm just very interested in how that dynamic uh, plays out and how maybe alliances in that society might play out, but like in between the, the different races on, on Navarre.
0: I uh, I really wish right now to share with you both my favorite line from the episode, and I apologize because I forget the character's name. He was the Romulan in the quorum. Of course, you have the Romulan, the Vulcan, and the Romulo-Vulcan. But the Romulan says to the Vulcan, Vulcans will choose whatever serves them best and insist it is only logical. Hell yeah, Romulan, yeah. they will. Absolutely. I get, those writers have been listening to Mission Log because that is something that we have said over and over and over. Just like a Klingon will shout honor no matter what it is, the, the, the Vulcan will climb that ladder. They will screw you over and they say, yeah, it's, just, it's logic. That's just uh, that is what it does. Uh, Alan in the chat says, Vulcans like two things, logic. And pageantry. <laughs> you are so not weird. wrong, Alan. You are not wrong. I feel at like
1: all. I feel like uh, Vulcans and uh, like Bajorans are pretty like like all you, you of their
0: cut from the same cloth. Yeah, like they have yeah.
1: so many like rituals and like holidays. I mean, Bajorans have like holidays and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, going through that whole thing where they like set everything up just to do this like it was like a court thing it was almost like a, it was like a court house yeah. situation uh but yeah setting all of that up i'm like d- is this really all necessary like you're literally just talking do we need all this pageantry yeah well they're vulcans
0: and and they do have tiki torches throughout that's what that, i'm talking that, about that and they yeah. just like
1: appeared from you know like, programmable matter
0: Okay, so uh, hopefully that's what they were, because say open flame on a set is never a good. No, idea.
1: they like they so, just yeah. whoosh, appear, and I was like, oh, programmable. Everything is programmable to matter. Maybe I'm progr- programmable matter.
0: Pretty sure you are. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> what, what else, John? Any other uh, thoughts on the? the episode? Well, yeah,
4: I mean, I think it was interesting that the whole. It seemed like the whole purpose of that ceremony was to elicit an emotional reaction out of Burnham, and to finally get at her, like you know, bare soul um, and to strip away the logic from her. And I think that's an interesting sort of end goal for Vulcan ceremony. Um, You know, and yet it's hard for me to take Burnham at face value Mm -hmm. at this point, because every time she cries, I don't know. Or every time she has an emotional reaction, I don't know where it's coming from. Do you think
1: that she's using it to manipulate
4: i don't know I, i i can't get a handle on on her motivations at all but i think at least here with the with the federation's existence on the line and her mother telling her she's lying to herself i think i finally got a believable emotional reaction out of her and that finally convinced the vulcan president to be like okay i believe you uh we'll give you this data
0: it, you know, it's almost like a little bit uh, reminiscent of young Spock getting bullied at school, mm. or, you know, fast forward then to Colinar, where again, it's just like, it's just emotional purging, like, you got to get all of this stuff out yeah. before you can get to the truth of the matter. And by the way, speaking of Kulinar, do you believe it was the same gong tone that we heard yeah. in that. <laughs> that, we, that, just, that? That just said that just took yeah. me right back to those scenes in uh, motion picture. I'm but, just
1: waiting yeah. for like the the little shakers from the the, the little shaker things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I want those. Yeah.
1: Well, when was the last time we saw those? I'd like to see those make an appearance. Oh,
4: and, Too long I, ago. I certainly can understand. You know, Burnham has probably kept every emotion she experienced. Bottled up inside of her for the last year, and I think we see that played out in the fact that all of a sudden she's attracted to book now. Um, even though she it seemed like she lived on his spaceship for most of the time, that ah,
1: uh, she said she, she had her own ship.
4: Uh, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs>
0: okay. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I was. Kind of kicking that one around a little bit in my head too and thinking like is it sudden or is it not sudden she's been there for a year they've known mm-hmm. each other they've gotten into each other for that long um surely just the, the the natural human need to have somebody with you to have some some bonding when you have no idea if anybody else that you know is ever going to show up again yeah. then i i get it that they would have this bond why they waited until this particular reveal to actually get them together Eh, little you know serve the dramatic purpose i mean she
1: also happened to bond with like the first guy that she hit on the way out of the wormhole
0: that's that's true (laughs) that's true yeah
1: you didn't meet anybody better in the year like you didn't meet anybody else that that struck your fancy just the guy that you hit on the way out
0: Look, when it's, you know, when it's uh, uh,
4: Andorians and big dumb Orions.
0: Uh, and, you know, That's Bo- fair. Bo- he's Bo-'s a handsome a dude. Heart. He's
4: got an adorable pet and a cool pet. I mean. Yeah.
0: He... And he's got a great heart saving all those yeah. animals. I mean, he's, he's got it all. But that is the 32nd century meet cute. Yeah. Like, I slammed into your spaceship in my Red Angel time travel suit. <laughs> Hallmark movie, you know. That's how it happens. Uh, we're up against the clock, John, but uh, any final thoughts on tonight's episode before we say goodnight?
4: Um, I, I just have to agree that uh, I'm just so excited to see uh, Doug Jones get to be the leader in this series. Like, every scene he's in, I'm just excited. I, I mean, even just his walk
2: is just so
4: yes. alien, but so believable that... An, a living seven foot creature would, would move that way. Just he's, he's doing things that I've never seen an actor do uh, with or without prosthetics.
0: I, I really have to wonder, you know, he's so well fleshed out now. And and I really am taken by the the tenor of this type of captain because it's not something <laughs> that we've seen before. I really wonder if you go back to the beginning and the development of the show in season one, who had it in their heads to say you know what this guy this character is who needs to become captain this is the character we need to follow and this is what that character will be like as we see them on their journey because it just seems so perfect right now you really have to wonder like who who had that inspiration you know so all right john pleasure to see you we'll see you again soon i hope have a great night
4: you too thank you
0: all right cheers Holly, any parting shots to give you the final word here before the credits?
1: No, I think I went through all my notes. You got
0: it? Did yeah. you have all the notes this time? Because I had so I, I many notes, but I think
1: them. we touched on them almost. On
0: okay, of them. very good. <laughs> cool. I look forward to watching you and Norman next week, and I'll be back the week after. Until then, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live is by the inevitable Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you would like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission accessories by cufflinksinc.com. Thanks to everyone who joined us live or later. Stay safe, stay healthy. We look forward to talking with you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com.
3: The Roddenberry Podcast Network.